for our scripture reading today, let us turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16, and I'll read verses 1 through 6. Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Beginning to read with verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid unto your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hands. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. May the Lord bless this reading to our a good understanding. The title of the sermon is Women and Their Family Power. We live in a day where the, uh, the sexes and their various powers and vulnerabilities and opportunities and that sort of thing are greatly featured in discussions and in, in the thought. Uh, sometimes people think the men have the advantage, sometimes uh, Others think that the women have the advantage. It's usually considered along sexual lines. Usually the women think the men have the advantage. <laughs> the men think the women have the advantage. But we've been, we've been looking at, in early Genesis here, we've been looking at the family. We've been focusing on the family and trying to see from the Bible different illustrations and different insights that we get uh, as the Lord gives them to us regarding the family. And so uh, today, today, focus as it as it comes out here in chapter 16. I was going to focus not so much on the the vagaries of the covenant of grace as it works through the families of Israel, but specifically upon Abraham's family and his wife and the kinds of situations they got themselves in. Now the point of this is that we get ourselves into exactly these kinds of situations today. That we, as we study this out, we'll see that Abram and Sarah, were, were, they were very special people on one hand, but they were also vulnerable to the same kinds of fears and phobias that we have as people. And so if we can see that they had problems and they had a great need for the Lord to avoid these things, we can maybe apply that back to ourselves and say we have the same kinds of needs. It's difficult to be a husband and a wife to each other. These things do not come to us naturally. So often the things that come to us naturally are problematic influences that arise from the, the fears of our lives or the thoughts that this or that is not right, that it ought 
to be otherwise. And so uh, then we often uh, uh, affect uh, changes or plans or methods unto ourselves that ultimately true prove to our undoing. And that's, uh, that's very much the way this was this morning. And uh, if, we, if we take this to heart, we can obtain great blessings for ourselves and our families by avoiding the kinds of things that often bring us down in our family life. We know that there are great blessings that come from families. And we know that there's none of us that has uh, whatever families God gives us. There's just none of us that would step back and say, oh, God, why have you done this? You know, what a, what a cursed thing. My family is because we, we, we see the many blessings that accrue to us through family life. Um, there's no there's no better way really. And when people, uh, as it as it has been done in various times in history, when they've tried to reinvent the family by communalism, some of the old cults in America did this. When, when we try to do these things, uh, we men have tried to change the the week from seven days to ten days in the pit. We try to we try to fundamentally alter uh, the way that we see ourselves developing. We always go back because we see problems with these things. And so despite the fact that there are so many blessings uh, associated with the family, we also see that there have been great uh, problems that have arisen. And we see that nowhere better than in the scriptures. If we were to write the scriptures about our own family's life, we would probably gild the lily. We would probably avoid all these the unique problems or the special family problems that have arisen in our history. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible brings out, even with great people like Abraham and Sarah, the Bible brings out all of their blemishes. It, it's very honest. Some people think that Christians are, or think that they're better. Well, if you read the Bible, you have to, you have to realize that no, Christians realize how vulnerable they are, and they realize how much they need God's grace. So, uh, with that, with that introduction, let's look at the the sermon. And we've got I've got, I've got notes in the bottom of the first page underneath the underneath the service. And the first point that I wanted to make is that that sin uh, gives equal opportunity. You know, we speak of equal opportunity employers. Well, sin gives equal opportunity to all of us, whether male or female. Husbands or wives, young or old, uh, sin gives equal opportunity, and uh, in this case, it's it's denominated by or separated by the sexes by men and women. Uh, we see where uh, Abraham has already God in His mercy dealt with Abraham's problem first. This coming to Egypt and then being afraid that Sarah was beautiful and and that uh, the Egyptians would go after her and maybe kill him in the meantime. But I, we, we preached about this a few weeks ago, and I, I, I told you how amazed I was. I never realized how, how beautiful Sarah must have been. But and I, I, at that time, I, I emphasized how, how noticeable she must have been. To think of a caravan coming into a large nation like Egypt, and to think of the, the, the Pharaoh noticing a woman in one of these caravans and then uh, thinking to himself, I should have her as one of my ceremonial wives. To think of that is just utterly amazing. And yet that's what happened. And 
Abraham was seduced by his fear. And the Bible talks about that in uh, a few chapters back here in Genesis. And Abraham was not proud of it, but God God bailed him out. Abraham erred. He, he had Sarah and the others of his clan lie about the the relationship there with Sarah saying that he, she was his sister and not his wife so that, uh, so that he would be appeased if, if they had eyes for Sarah, they would come to him and say, talk to him about uh, obtaining her by, by payment instead of by him being murdered or executed because he was her husband. And so we saw how God worked that out and God brought a plague upon the Egyptians. God would not allow uh, evil to triumph over this uh, pr- primal family that he was raising up, who was going to be the head of the covenant line of that of that uh, time. And so here we see um, uh, God uh, supervising the same kind of thing happening with Sarah, with uh, uh, the problem being that her that she was uh, a barren woman. She was not able to have children, at least until God opened her womb. So, husbands and wives, we both have we both have different offices, we both have different stations, we both have different gifts. We 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 are different sexually, male and female. We're different, and based on that, we all have our proclivities uh, to sin. The, the shorter catechism or the larger catechism goes into how. Just because of the the headship of the the men of the the, uh, the species, how they have their own peculiar and besetting sins because of that, and how women have their peculiar sins because of uh, of their uh, uh, inferiority uh, in terms of the the offices that God has called them to, and we just need to be we just need to be aware that we we all have our. Um, we all have our own vulnerabilities. Uh, I think as a man, you, as a man, you, I may have started out in my life thinking that uh, my wife had more problems than I did. But the older I've gotten, the more I'm aware of my mine are are uh, worse. And many times that I I rue the day, you know, that I try to exercise power because I know how vulnerable I am to being a good husband. Well, the, the root of Sarah's problem was not so much that, but it was that she uh, could not bear children. Now, this was a double-edged uh, uh, sword, in a sense, because in the first sense, just well, women uh, of this day always wanted to have children. They saw their, their real power in bringing forth many children for their husband or for the clan, for the family involved, and so that was a discouragement, a great discouragement to her. That as a woman, she, you know, she says that she looks at herself and she says, "God, you made me to have children. Why am I not having children?" But then on top of that, remember, God had made a special promise to Abraham and Sarah that He would be, that they would be the parents of a of a whole race of people, and that God would bless them. And so Sarah had these two things working upon her mind all the time. Why am I an incomplete woman? And how can how can God has beheld these promises? If anything, I should be pouring forth more children. You know, I should be uh, super fertile. Why am I having these problems? Why has God not blessed me unto this time? Now, 
it, the Bible does not really develop this. It doesn't really uh, talk or talk about this or show us the intricacies of, of Sarah's problem. But uh, it appears that Sarah uh, began to, uh, what we would say, a psychological term, obsess uh, about these things or compulsively uh, think about these things. This is one of the things that we do as human beings. When we, when we think that something ought to come to pass, maybe obtaining a job, a particular job, maybe a promotion within the company, uh, maybe being rightly favored by our parents, between children, one child will think, well, you know, I ought, to be, I ought to be loved by my father and mother as much as my brother or sister. Or, you know, some, some computation of that, some uh, development out of that idea. But we get these ideas in our hearts, and maybe a woman thinks, I ought to be, I, I ought to be more beautiful, I ought to be more perfect. And she's got some figure in her mind, some idea in her mind of what that is. Or a man might think, um, you know, in order to, in order to really stand out in front of my boss, I need to be a better golfer so I can show up at these functions, these industrial commercial functions and, you know, stand tall for my company. But we, we get these ideas, and uh, they're, they're, the ideas themselves are natural. But the problem is when we, when we begin to idolize them, and we begin to we begin to write out our own prescriptions for success, and then our minds go over and over and over those prescriptions, those ways that we think ought to take place, and we begin to obsess about them. We can't think about anything else but them. I don't know how many murders on television, some of these true-to-life um, shows that go on that, that attempt to explain or reiterate uh, uh, some famous murder that took place, and they almost always begin with some compulsion, some obsession that either a man or a woman has. And they, be, they begin to follow these things, and they cannot let go of them. And they press, and they press, and they press, and finally they cross over the line. They do something untoward. They, they, they break the law in order to obtain the blessing that they think ought to be theirs. This is a problem that we have as human beings. And what we should learn from the scriptures and from life is that it's never a blessing to give yourself over to these compulsions or to these thoughts. Because ultimately what we're saying is, I cannot really be happy or I cannot really be blessed until this or that occurs. Unless, unless this or that comes to pass in my life. Unless I get that promotion. Unless I get that woman. How many marriages have foundered because... People have, young people have been obsessed over a person that just didn't have returned their affections unto them. But they say, I've got to have that person. And then they finally get the person, and it's a catastrophe. It's never, it doesn't succeed. We need to realize in our lives that, that these thoughts come into our minds, but it's never a blessing when we let them become compulsions or obsessions to us in our lives. And so it appears that that is what happened in this case. Um, Sarah could not have a child. 
but she had not had a child for a number of years. Then they, they moved to uh, uh, Palestine, and for 10 years, it tells us in the text, she was unable to have a child. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't stress the ongoing tribulation of her waiting and the, the trouble that her mind was put through, but it gives us the outcome. And so what's the outcome? What is number three? What is her rationalistic remedy? Now, I use the term, the qualifier, rationalistic, because it's a basic source for information that we can have. There are only, there are only two or three different sources of, of ideas or, um, or uh, solutions that we can obtain. Uh, we can obtain them. We can, we can obtain them from Scripture. That's the best way. Or we can obtain them from our own thoughts, that's uh, the rational uh, ideas that we get, or we can obtain them from the experimental, uh, the experiments of our life, our, our, the experience of our lives. And we can say, well, because my father or my mother did the A, B, and C, and D, then you know, they experienced this thing, that, that worked for them, so it ought to work for me. The problem is when we get any idea by any method that it deviates from Scripture. Now, in this case, um, Sari got the idea, and I'm sure it started with a, just the faintest thought, but here we see it in the end, as an end result. In the end result, she goes to her husband and she says, We've, I've not been able to give you any children, but I've got an idea. I've got this handmaiden named Hagar, an Egyptian. They believe that, that uh, they obtained Hagar, that they bought her as a bondwoman or a, a slave after a fashion, a servant woman, uh, while they were in Egypt. And so Sari has had this uh, bondswoman for a while, and undoubtedly there was some affection there. You don't, you don't encourage your husband to have a child by another woman if you hate her or if she's an utter failure or, or you know, you think you're going to get ugly children through this woman, you, you just wouldn't do that. So there must have been some uh, a, some beauty to Hagar. There must have been a, 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 a somewhat of a close relationship between her and, and Sarah. But, Sarah. but Sarah got this idea. I can't have a I can't have a child, but here's this woman in our midst, in our very family. She's she she's with us all the time. She's like a sister to me. Why not obtain a child through her? And so she becomes a seduction to her husband by suggesting this idea, and then by actually acting on it. And it says in the text that she actually gave Sarah, gave Hagar to uh, Abraham uh, on the day or the night in which this, uh, this uh, effort went into play to obtain a child by her handmaid, Hagar. She had this thought, this idea, and it took over her mind more and more, so that whatever fences, whatever, uh, 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 whatever warning signs or warning thoughts had echoed in her mind, they disappeared, they were diminished, they, they fell into the background. And the idea of obtaining a child through Hagar 
wide, it's straight, there's no hills or valleys. And then as soon as you impart upon that way, you begin to see the problems and they, they mount up. I've sometimes talked about how the unbeliever, they, the unbelievers, they, they preach all the time about the blessings of illicit sex, about the about how wonderful it is to have an affair and that sort of thing. But even in their own right, I can't think of a single movie uh, outside of porn, which is totally false, but there's no realistic movie portrayal of, of a sin in this regard that works out well. They always start out with high ideas and crash and burn. And we see the rubble and the embers and the fires and that sort of thing take place. So uh, Sarah, because of her obsession, uh, she was convinced of this and ultimately gave Hagar. She was the instrument of the adultery between uh, between Hagar and her husband, Abram. What were the consequences of this? Well, we see right in the text, in the first six verses of this text, it says, um, when she, it says in verse 4, the second half of verse 4, and when she saw, that is, when Hagar saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. That is, whatever affection that the two women had, it, it began immediately. There was a cancer interjected in the middle of their relationship, and she began to despise her mistress. She began to think, she, she began to think, I should, you know, I'm sure she, she thought, well, what, what is this woman Sarah even doing here? I'm the, I'm the one who's fertile. I'm the one that's uh, pregnant. I'm going to give Abraham these children. We can do we can do without Sarah. <laughs> so she began to act that way. She began to hold Sarah in contempt, do those little things. Men are pretty good at the bigger, more obvious things that they do in life. Women are much better at the little insidious kinds of things. And I'm sure if if a, if a, one of the women were able to give a lecture on this sort of thing, you you do far better than I. Uh, with the, the feminine wiles and the ways of bringing down people that you don't appreciate. Well, this began to happen immediately. Uh, and uh, and it, it got so bad that Sarah went and complained to Abraham. And you notice how she doesn't really own up to her own part in this thing. She says, uh, my, my wrong, my wrong, well, she admits to a certain amount of wrong, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord, the Lord judged between me and you. She doesn't think that Abraham is being as uh, as solicitous and as thoughtful as he ought to be for this problem that has arisen within their family. And so Abraham said to Sarah, "Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Go do to her as you please." And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled. Uh, her her presence into the wilderness. Now, number four says the consequences of this idea. I say jealousy, contempt, pain, cruelty, and 4,000 years of social animosity. What, what do I mean by 4,000 years of social animosity? Well, it's because she bore this, this lad, this baby, Ishmael. And 
uh, Ishmael, uh, it says at the, in the second half of ch chapter 16, this comes from an angel of the Lord, and in verse 9, or verse 10, the angel of the Lord says to Hagar, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord says, Behold, you are with child, you shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Well, if you talk to an Islamic person today who has any sense of history or any sense of education, they will and they will admit they will they're happy to own the idea that Ishmael is the father of their race. Now, uh, Islam only came to pass uh, in the sixth century uh, after the birth of Christ, and we know Abraham. All this was happening. Uh, 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, so it just so happens, though, that um, that the genetic and clan identity of Ishmael is well known. And uh, so the Israelites were, were troubled in their day, uh, before the coming of Christ, by these the children of the, the Ishmaelites, much like they were troubled by when, uh, when Noah... I mean, when, when Laban fled Sodom and Gomorrah and his daughters seduced him and they bore the, ch the two children, Ammon and Moab and, Am and Ammon. And the, these two groups of people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, were constant afflictions to Israel in their earlier history. So it was with the Ishmaelites. And finally, in the, in the uh, 600s, a fellow named Muhammad came along, who was also a child of the Ishmaelites, and he started his own religion. And much like the Philistines, who have constantly afflicted the Israelites, God has used the Ishmaelites from that time forth to be an affliction to Christendom. It's just the most interesting study possible where ethics are linked to um, uh, sociology and, and world history. And it's not, it's, this is not some concoction in the mind of a Christian historian. As I said, the, the Islamic peoples are proud of this. And they, and one of the theological conflicts that arises is that the, that the, Isla, the Islamic people will insist that Ishmael is really the inheritor of the Abrahamic blessing because he was first. And the, and you know, the Christian will say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. God says that he blessed the child of the promise rather than the child who came first. And they say, uh, we know in the Old Testament that the child who came first is the child of blessing. And so this has been an ongoing struggle for millennia here. It's, an, it's just amazing. But all of this came about because a little lady named Sarah had this compulsion about hurrying up or helping God's providence and having a child before it's time and then going and suggesting that to her husband, Abram. Brothers and sisters, it is not good for us to tell God what we have to do, what, what he has to do in our lives and then insist upon that. Be compulsive about it. Become obsessive about it. 
sermon on the family. Women have tremendous power in their families for righteousness. So do men. But both also have tremendous problems if they give themselves over to these things that are not obviously godly. Men can insist that they have to do this or that. They can bully their wives. They can drive their families this way and that. Women can do it from a more subtle direction. I don't, I wouldn't guess that Abraham's life was going to be all that happy if he didn't go with the flow, as it were, at the time that Sarah had this idea. You can give me a lesson on this later yourselves, if you disagree. But that's the way we are with each other. We each have our own ways. Men have their ways and women have their ways. And each of us, if we're godly, we will give these things over to the Lord. And we will realize that the only real way of blessedness is that we, if we live, in, if, our, if the goal of our lives, if the happiness of our lives comes from God, if God is the pearl at great price that we, that we have to have, if God is our great consolation, then we will avoid so many problems of husbands and wives and children and all of the issues that lead to crashes and burns of our families because we depend upon God and his sovereignty and we realize that God can bring these things to pass whatever he wants. It was after this that God comes to Abraham and he says, now's the time. Abraham was 86 years old when he had Isaac. Uh, they think that Sarah was 76 when she, when she had Isaac. And yet it worked out for good. Isaac was the, Isaac was the child of blessing. It was through Isaac that, that, uh, the family got going then in, in greater masses and, uh, Abraham lived to see some of this stuff developing. But it came in God's own good time because the family had learned, Abraham and Sarah had learned, not to go with their feelings, not to go with their obsessions, not to go with their compulsions, but to go with the Lord. The great paradigm of Scripture is to seek the kingdom of God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And all things will be yours. Not to th seek the things and try to obtain them by our own power. There's no better example for that than the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mary and Joseph. You think of the pressures that they were under. You can think of how easy it would have been for them to be swept up in compulsions and obsessions. And yet they were humble before the Lord and they gave birth to this son of theirs who was a son of blessing has become a blessing for us all as we look to him. We have in scripture patterns of goodness and patterns of evil, patterns of strength and patterns of weakness, which will be our patterns. With what shall we be satisfied? The living God or the obsession or the obsessions? Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might make good use of thy scripture and of thy scriptural uh, admonition and thy scriptural pictures here. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would guard us from our own entrapments. We pray that you would allow us to be happy with thee, O oh Lord. Better to be 
a watchman uh, before the tent of the before the temple of the Lord, a, a guard at the temple of the Lord, than to be uh, a priest or whoever in the midst of it that has the power of position and the grandeur that we might associate with ourselves. Oh God, help us to be happy with thee and thy providences. Help us not to lust. Help us not to covet as the Tenth Commandment warns us against. Help us to love the, the life that you've given us, the beauty that you've given us, the brains that you've given us. Help us to see that thou hast a plan for us in our lives with whatever resources you have put within us. And help us to be happy with those, and help us to bring those resources to thine altar, and, 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 uh, and help us to serve thee with them and by them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.